can't think of a better place to be on a Memorial Day weekend than right here celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You think about Memorial Day, we celebrate a day where people have given the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And really what they were doing is being a reflection of Jesus Christ who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And so we celebrate that today. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're starting in verse 37 today. If you've not been here with us, we've been walking through the book of Luke together. And my heart, my hope is that as we walk through this book, we're not seeing just like my opinions on the text, but we're getting to the heart of the passage. We're trying to understand what Luke intended and what Jesus intended in this passage and how can we apply it to our lives. And so last week, we looked at maybe the most unpopular passage in the whole gospel of, of Luke. We, we looked at what Jesus said about loving your enemy. Probably the most unpopular thing that Jesus ever said, or at least one of them. And this week, though, we're going to be looking at what might be, right now at least in our culture, the most popular phrase that Jesus has said. In fact, even if you weren't raised in church, you've probably heard somebody say, judge not lest you be judged. And it is also probably the most misunderstood passage in our culture. You, you can imagine, in our culture that loves to push this agenda of, okay, you need to keep your religion to yourself, and morality is relative, the phrase judge not just kind of fits within our culture. But is Jesus really saying that we should never make any kind of judgments? Should we never judge another person? Is he really saying that? Because you can take pieces of the Bible and make them say pretty much whatever you want them to say if you take them out of context. And so what I want to do is take a look at this passage in context, and let's go a little bit deeper with it and figure out, okay, what does Jesus really mean here? And so what is the context? What's going on here? So if you were here last week, you know Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. It's the Sermon on the Plain. It's, it mirrors the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And in this sermon, he is blowing people's minds. He, he's astounding them with his authority and, and the things that he's saying. It's like he's preaching about this upside-down kingdom. Blessed are the poor. Uh, blessed are those who are hungry. Love your enemies. And so he's going on and on about the upside-down kingdom. And last week, if you recall, he was talking about loving your enemies. And, and at the heart of that passage, we saw, and, and Paul talks about this in Romans 12, is don't live a life that's full of vengeance. Instead, live a life that is full of mercy and is full of grace. Trust God to be the judge, because he's always going to punish wrongdoing, either in hell for those who do not repent or on the cross, he's going to punish Jesus for those who do repent of their sins. And so we talked about that last week, which flows nicely into the passage today on not judging. And what does that mean? And so if you remember, right at the very end of last week's passage, we, we saw this verse, in verse 36. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And so today's passage is really an extension of that verse Okay, what does this look like practically to live a merciful life? And so we're going to pray one more time, and we're going to dig into this passage together. 
Father, we do desire to live merciful lives. We also recognize that often our pride and selfishness gets in the way of that. And so I pray that you would open up our eyes to see that we would be more self-aware of ways that we tend to be judgmental. I pray that you would help us through your spirit to become more like you, that we would live lives that are full of mercy and grace towards others. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read this passage, starting in verse 37. Jesus said, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. And then he shares two illustrations. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be, you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so here's a quick breakdown of this passage. He starts out with two don'ts and two do's. Don't judge. Don't condemn, or you'll be judged, or you'll be condemned. But do forgive. Do give, and you will be forgiven, and you will be given too. And then he goes on from two don'ts to two do's to two illustrations. He gives these two parables. And the one is, look, how can a blind person lead another blind person, okay, you probably, maybe you've used that phrase, if somebody that doesn't know what they're doing is trying to teach you something, okay, how can a blind person lead another blind person, they're going to run right into a pit, they're going to fall into a pit, and then he talks about, look, you need to be a good teacher, to be a good teacher, you've got to be able to see clearly, and so how can you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye if you've got this big log, or in some of your Bibles it might say plank, okay, there's this big plank in your eye. You can't see anything to get anything out of their eyes. And so what's the deal with those illustrations? What is he trying to teach? Remember who Jesus is talking to in this sermon. He's got the big crowd, but he's specifically specifically talking to his disciples. And he's saying to them, look, I want to teach you what it means to be my follower. And what's in the Great Commission? Before he ascends into heaven, the Great Commission, we talk about this all the time. He says, go therefore and what? Make disciples. He's teaching them to be disciple makers. And so his goal here is not just to get them to avoid hypocrisy. That's part of the goal. But his ultimate goal here is, look, I want to teach you how to be a teacher. I want to teach you how to be a disciple maker. I want to teach you how to be a merciful disciple maker. That's the heart of what's going on in this passage. I want to teach you how to be a 
merciful disciple maker. This is what it takes for you to be able to make disciples. He's called all of us to be disciple makers. Listen, the church will cease to exist if we do not make disciples. That's what the church is made out of. And if so if you're not actively, intentionally seeking ways to make disciples in your life, you are not helping the church to grow. In fact, you're helping the church to cease to exist because that is exactly what will happen if we don't purposely, intentionally seek out ways to make disciples. And so that's what he's trying to do in this sermon. He's teaching his disciples how to be disciple makers. And so Jesus is not saying to never judge. It would be impossible to live that way. He's saying, look, before you can take a speck out of their eye, you need to evaluate yourself. You need to take a look at your own eye. And in fact, he, he makes it very clear that we are, he's commanding us to, to judge others, actually. Not judgmentally, but he's, he's commanding, look, you should be going out and, and taking the speck out of people's eyes. In fact, the very next paragraph, and we're going to talk about this next week, he talks about, look, if you're going to judge somebody, judge them by their fruits. And so the command is not to never judge, but we are to judge correctly. There's a right way to judge, and there's a wrong way to judge. There's a difference between judging and discerning what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, and being judgmental. We're not to be judgmental. And so what's the difference between being like discerning and judging rightly and judging wrongly? Two things that I would point you to. First of all, we judge wrongly when we're not merciful. So let me get specific about that. Two things. When you, first of all, you dismiss them as a person. When you look at somebody and you dismiss them as a person. And then the second one is you dismiss your own sinfulness. Okay, so when you dismiss somebody as a person, look, it's not condemning to tell them the truth. It's not condemning, it's not judgmental to tell somebody what is right and wrong. It's condemning when you Look at them and you tell them the truth, but then you cast them off and you walk away and you want nothing to do with them. You see, discernment is actually a good thing. Being able to judge people's, uh, if they're doing something good or if they're doing something bad, that's a good thing for us to be able to do. We need to be able to train one another up. Iron sharpens iron. But it's when you go beyond discernment to judging a person's value that it becomes condemning. Uh, You remember back when American Idol first started? Uh, Some of you probably watched that. Some of you probably hate that show. But if you watched it at all, uh, at the very beginning, they had judges. It was Simon Cowell and who was the other? There's a bunch of them. One's one's there. Paula Abdul. It was Paula. You remember Paula Abdul? It didn't matter how bad the singer was, she always had something to compliment them about. Okay? I mean, they could be the, they could be the worst. They, could, they couldn't sing anything, and she would still, you're just a beautiful person. <sighs> While Simon Cowell would be next to her saying, what are you talking, who told you how to, that you could sing? They should be shot. All right? He, he had no tact. He would tell them the truth, but he had no love. While she cared so much about the person that she wasn't discerning at all. She, she spoke with love, but no truth. So we dismiss them as a person. That's one way that we lack mercy and we judge wrongly. Second way, dismiss our own sinfulness. And so uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 18, Jesus really addresses this in one of his parables that he shares. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, 
Jesus says this. He says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so he's talking to the people that, the same kind of people that Jesus is talking about in this sermon, those people that think that they're self-righteous. They've dismissed their own sin. He says this, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so that Pharisee looked at the tax collector, grouped him along, valued put a value on his character by putting him right alongside the, the, the adulterers. And then he looks at himself and says, look at me, look how good I am. I'm self-righteous, I'm not, I'm not a sinner. This Pharisee uh, very much characterized what, what, John, or what Jesus is trying to get to in our passage in Luke chapter 6. They dismiss their own sinfulness. And you know what? If we're honest, it's a whole lot easier for us, it's a whole lot more natural for us to act like that Pharisee than it is for us to act like Jesus. It's natural, natural for us to, to be self-righteous. It's natural for us to, to justify our, our actions, to compare ourselves to other people so that we feel better about ourselves. It's natural for us to downplay our own sin and elevate other people's sin. We easily... And often jump to conclusions, we make assumptions, we judge on appearance. I look at the Pharisees kind of like a good sitcom. Okay, what is a good sitcom? If you're, if you're watching TV, a good sitcom is really just an exaggeration of what we naturally do. And, and so you get characters like, uh, like Sheldon on Big Bang. Okay, that's like a modern day Pharisee, right? They're just exaggerating what is really a little, there's a little bit of Sheldon in all of us, right? That's why we connect with a character like that. And so Jesus here in this passage is helping us root out that inner Pharisee that's in all of us. And so he, he shares these illustrations in this passage. And what I see in here is really five characteristics, five characteristics of what makes a merciful disciple maker. And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at here today. Number one is this. If you're taking notes, number one is a merciful disciple maker is slow to judge. When I was in fifth grade. I was in elementary school. This is back when uh, you, we, we had recess every day after lunch. We'd go out to recess. We had this huge playground, fields, and jungle gym, and basketball courts. It was amazing, and we'd go out there, and we were, at that point, my friends and I were in this kickball kick. We'd go outside, and we played kickball every single day, and the rule was if you brought the kickball out of the classroom, you were the one that was responsible to retrieve the kickball, put it back into the classroom. Okay, that was just the rule, and so when the whistle blew, everybody knew to line up at the door, single file line, keep your hands to yourself, mouths closed, get ready to go back inside the door. I was a huge rule follower in elementary school. I never got in trouble until one day when Brad Bickhart was standing behind me, and Brad was a good kid too. He didn't get in trouble very often, but he had this wonderful idea to slap the ball out of my hands while we were in line, supposed to be still. And so he slaps the ball 
out of my hands. It bounces once, and the principal happened to be walking by at the same time. And it bounces right into her arm. And I don't even remember the principal's name. I just remember her scowl, her face. <laughs> and she catches the ball, and she had her hands filled with other stuff in her briefcase, and she just walks right in. She doesn't even break stride. She just walk, keeps walking. And I found, find out like a, a half hour later that neither Brad nor I were allowed to play with any kind of balls for the next week outside in the playground. <laughs> and I was so mad. And I, I was mad at Brad for knocking it out of my hands, but I was even more mad at the principal because she made such a quick judgment call. She never even had a conversation with me. We need to be slow to judge. And it, if you study leadership principles... One of the main leadership principles that you find is that, look, as a leader, you need to make, be able to make quick decisions. You need to be decisive. You need to be able to evaluate a situation and make a very quick decision. But I think sometimes we take that overboard, and, and we go too far with that, and our, our decisions are, and our judgments are much too quick. You see, did you know that there's, every year, there's 250,000 people that die from medical mistakes. It's the third leading cause of death in the United States behind cancer and heart disease. You see, when medicine is not prescribed correctly or, or given correctly, it, it's just another name for poison. Criticism is very similar to that. When we criticize wrongly, or, or, or senselessly, it can become very dangerous. We need to be slow to criticize, slow to judge. See, a judgmental person is going to be quick to speak. They're going to be quick to anger. They're going to be slow to listen. Exact opposite of what James calls us to be like. A judgmental person is going to make assumptions. They're going to assume people's motives. They're going to take a look at social media and just listen to, I mean, if it's on social media, it must be true, right? And, and so they just jump on the bandwagon of whatever one person judge, makes a judgment call, and so they just jump on board with it. A judgmental person is going to talk about the person rather than to the person. They're going to confront a person's sin before they ever get to know the person. And take the time to build a relationship with them. Again, what's the context of this passage? Remember last week, Jesus talked about in the, in the midst of talking about loving your enemy, he shares the golden rule. And he says, treat others as you want to be treated, right? And so we ought to judge others the way that we want to be judged. And so if somebody asks you that question, how, how would you want to be judged? Well, personally, I want to be judged not, but if somebody is going to judge me, I would want them to take my entire life into context. I would want them to know my history and the way that I grew up, and I would want them to know what's going on in the situation in my life right now. I would want them to know my, my fears and my, my dreams and, and the things that I stumble over because I would want them to have some empathy. I would want them to have some compassion for me. If they're going to judge me, they, better, they ought to know me. And that's how we ought to judge others, not, not quickly, not making assumptions. Let's be slow to judge. Number two, second characteristic of a merciful disciple maker. 
So they're slow to judge, number one. Number two is quick to forgive. And as Christians, of course, we should be the most forgiving people in the whole world, right? Because we have been given, forgiven so much. And there's a, there's a lot of miscon- misconceptions about what true forgiveness is, though. Okay, true forgiveness is not saying, look, I forgive you, but you know what? I just can't stand to be around you. Okay, that's not true forgiveness. Thank goodness Jesus doesn't treat us that way, right? I forgive you, but I just can't be around you. Now, the, true forgiveness is not reconciliation. Okay, don't get me wrong. I understand that when there's a broken relationship, it takes two to reconcile. And so they may not be at a point where they, if they've harmed you, that they're willing to repent, and so there is no room moving forward to be able to, to reconcile. And so that's not true forgiveness. True forgiveness is also not trust. Okay, so if, if somebody harms my child, I'm not going to, even though I can forgive them, I'm not going to trust them to watch my child. Uh, true forgiveness also is not forgetting. Okay, you can't physically force yourself to forget a memory. But true co- forgiveness is making a commitment not to dwell on that memory, not to be consumed by it. True forgiveness is making a commitment that, look, I'm not going to get historical with them. I'm not going to continue to bring it back and throw it in their face. True forgiveness is also making a commitment that I'm not going to talk negatively about them with other people to make them look bad behind their back. And it is a commitment to be willing to reconcile if the person turns from their sins and if they ask for forgiveness. It's a willingness to say, when, when they do that, I am willing to reconcile. I'm willing to repair this relationship. You see, holding a grudge is kind of like building a dam. Holding a grudge is like building a dam where you either slow down or totally stop the flow of grace in your life. You see, even the secular world sees the benefit of being willing to forgive other people, not holding a grudge, but they don't have the same power that you and I do if you're in Christ. You see, Jesus forgives us fast, he forgives us frequently, and he forgives us forever. And that's how we ought to be willing to forgive others. And it costs, sometimes when you forgive somebody, it's going to cost you, cost Jesus a whole lot. When you forgive somebody, it may cost you, it may cost you money, it may cost you uh, it, your relationship, or it may cause other people to look down on you at times when you forgive. Forgiving costs you something. You may have to suck up your pride but be willing to forgive quickly. Third characteristic of a merciful disciple maker is to be generous. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And so a judgmental person is a selfish person. They're going to be generous with criticism, and that's about it. And because of this, they're also going to lack joy. So Jesus uses an illustration here uh, of grain. Okay, so picture God pouring out grain into your bucket. Grain represents joy in, in his gifts. And so you've got this bucket, and he, he gives you plenty. And not only that, he presses it down, and he shakes it to make sure that all the little spaces are, are filled in. And then he, he fills it so much that it, it's overflowing into your lap. And, and so what's the message that Jesus is giving here? He's saying, look, you can never outgive God. 
And he's not talking about material possessions. He's not saying that, look, if, you, if you're a giver, if you put money in this box, that if you put $10 in there, you can get $20 in return. Okay, he's not saying that. This is not a health and wealth kind of gospel. But he is saying there is a reward for being a generous person. It may not be a material reward. It may be the reward of, look, you're giving hope to somebody that, that was hopeless. It may be the reward as you're being generous that, that you're leading people to treasure God because they see you treasuring God more than anything else that they begin treasuring God more than anything else. You're, you're honoring God and giving glory to Him. It may be the reward of God confirming in your heart that His love is inside of you and pouring out of you. It's a confirmation of your salvation. It's a, it's a confirmation that you're in Christ Jesus. It may be the reward ultimately in heaven. Luke 12, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we've got financial peace coming up here in just a a couple weeks, and I would encourage you, if you've never taken financial peace, take financial peace. But don't take financial peace so that you can have a comfortable retirement. That's not the purpose of, of, of getting your, your finances in order. Take financial peace so that you can be a better disciple maker because that's what God has given us. We are to be stewards of God's money. It's not our money anyhow. And so what are we supposed to steward God's money for? The Great Commission, to make disciples. Your money is not your money. It is there for you to be a better disciple maker. And so your, your house is given to you for you to be a disciple maker. Your car is there for you to be a disciple maker. Your budget is there for you to be a disciple maker. A merciful disciple maker is going to be generous. They're going to give of their, their finances. They're going to give of their, their time generously for the sake of making disciples. And so a merciful disciple maker is going to be generous. Number four, they're going to be introspective. It talks about the log or the, the plank in your own eye. And what's he assuming there? He's assuming that we all have a log in our eye. Jesus understands that we all have issues that we need to deal before we can deal with somebody else's issue. He's saying that, that look, you need to be self-aware. A judgmental person is not self-aware. Think of uh, the story of David and uh, Nathan in the Old Testament. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and in 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is right after David has sinned and he's slept with Bathsheba, he's had her husband murdered, and Nathan the prophet comes to King David, and he shares a story, and he, he says this, And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he had brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children." He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Well, then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and became and because he had no pity and Nathan said to David what you are this man Nathan was sharing the story to turn it around on David and say look what you did to Bathsheba what you did to her husband was like this story but David didn't see it that's why he was so judgmental towards this man in the in the story he was not self-aware he couldn't see his own log you see one of the reasons that we become so judgmental is because we're really projecting our own issues on other people C.S. Lewis says it really well he says this about pride he says look the more pride you have the more we have it in ourselves the more we dislike it in others I think that's true of not just pride but many other sins. When we are struggling with that in ourselves, we see it in other people and we hate it in other people and we become judgmental because of that. And so before you confront somebody about their sin, you need to always ask some diagnostic questions to your own heart. Ask yourself, okay, what is my motive here? Why is this bothering me so so much? You go to James chapter 4, verse 1. We're actually going to talk more about this next week. But in James 4.1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Often the reason we get so upset about somebody else's sin is because there is an idol in our own heart. And so we need to ask the question, when, when we see sin in somebody, are we about to confront that person because... we care about that person and their relationship with God or is it because that person has somehow offended us and our pride we need to be introspective and maybe and i think a, a lot of times especially if we're in a conflict with somebody else it's that even if only 2% of the the conflict is our fault we still need to confess that um because that without doing that you you can't see clearly and so confess 100% of that 2% whatever it is get the log out of your own eye number 5 pursue people with love and so be introspective but not just to avoid hypocrisy be introspective so that you can clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye that's part of this command we're, we're be able we need to be able to see clearly so that we can do second timothy chapter 4 verse 2 be ready in season and out of season to reprove to rebuke to exhort with complete patience in teaching and so the goal of rebuking and reproving and exhorting is, is not to make them feel bad about themselves and feel guilty it's so that we would teach them with a whole lot of patience and so you do that being by being introspective by being merciful You see, to be a merciful disciple maker, you've got to be an eye surgeon. Okay, you don't go into surgery with a shovel to try to dig it out. You go with a scalpel. You're you're careful. You take your time. But also recognize that leaving the speck in your brother's eye, that's not merciful. It's really not loving and in fact it's ultimately judgmental if you leave the speck so that they can't see. I mean it's pain even if you've got a speck in your eye it's not fun. It's very painful. You can't see. And so you're harming them by leaving it in there. God calls us to do surgery. To be disciple makers means that you're going to do eye surgery. You're going to lovingly because when, when you don't 
when you don't get the speck out of your eye, you're judging them and you're basically saying that, look, you're not worth my effort. You're not worth my time to invest in taking that speck out. We need to learn to be discerning and gentle. Pursue people with love. See, the, the danger of being judgmental is that everybody stays blind. Being a merciful disciple maker is how we open up our own eyes and how we open other people's eyes to the light of the gospel. And so I would encourage you, be intentional about your relationships. We talk a lot about these one-to-ones, the, these opportunities that we have to really dig into somebody else's life and, and ask them to keep us accountable as we keep them accountable. I know in my own life, that's how God has, God has used those type of relationships to grow me more than anything else in my life, more than a sermon, more than a song, more than listening to a podcast. God uses intentional, deep relationships, guys in my life that are willing to, to get the speck out of my eye. Those take time, and they take trust. And so I would encourage you to invest the time that it takes to be able to trust somebody in that way. A healthy church is filled with eye surgeons, people that are willing to deal with their own issues so that they can deal with other people's issues. And so as we move into communion, really communion is a reminder that Jesus was judged so that we don't need to be. It's a reminder that Jesus was condemned so that we could be accepted by God. And so if you're new with us, we, we do this every single Sunday because we need that reminder. And if you have trusted in Christ, if you have a relationship with Him, we would, we would encourage you to, in, to, to join us in the celebration of communion. There's two stations up here. There's another station in the back. This is also a time where we worship through giving. If you're a visitor, don't feel obligated. But if you've got questions about baptism or you've got questions about salvation or, or church membership, please don't leave here today before you get an opportunity to talk to myself or talk to somebody you trust. If you need prayer, I'm going to be in the back and in, in, in this corner back here. I would love to pray for you or pray with you today. Um, I would encourage you, after you've taken communion, go back to your seat and just spend a few moments with God asking, okay, is there somebody in my life that I've been judgmental with, that I, that I need to take that speck out of my own eye. Maybe there's some confession that needs to happen with God. Maybe there's some confession that you need to have with somebody else that you've been judgmental with. But use this time to ask God, okay, what's my next step? What are you calling me to do? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into a time of, of confession and celebration. And after everybody's gone through the line, we're going to we're going to stand and we're going to celebrate and worship together because God has given us a way that we don't need to be condemned, that we don't need to be judged because he has already taken that judgment on himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you were willing to be condemned so that we don't have to be, that you were willing to be judged so that we don't have to be. And I pray that you would help us to be merciful disciple makers, that you would lead us in that. I pray for those right now who uh, don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would move in their hearts, that they would plead for forgiveness from you, and they would trust in you, fully relying on you for salvation. 
And I pray for all of us that the gospel would be transformative, not just for salvation, but it, it would be applied to every part of our lives and that we would be more merciful because of that. Remind us of your forgiveness now and lead us to sing and both worship you in spirit and in truth for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.